Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And we are hearing today the crying of children. It's this is this is uh, this is the sound of America now. The crying of children, children in detention, children in prison, children in dog kennels in cages where even the ceiling is made of chain link fence, just like dog kennels. This is the new policy of Donald Trump in order to promote his racist base. Let's just call this exactly what this is. This is an election strategy that has been put together by Steve Miller and Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump and, and the racist base within the Republican Party. The New York Times reporting, this is from uh, yesterday, from June 18th, by Jonathan Martin and Maggie Haberman. Forget tax cuts. Trump wants to rally the GOP base over immigration is the headline. And, you know, it starts out with the whole thing about immigration. But I would add to this, this is part of a larger racist package from the Trump administration. And the question I pose to you today is, will this succeed? Right. There is there is clearly a white racist constituency. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, there's absolutely this white racist constituency, and that constituency is, is a, you know, a strong and historic part of what used to be the Democratic Party in the South until the 1960s and has solidly been the Republican Party in the South since the 1960s. But it's not limited to the South. This white racist base is what I, it, it, these guys have been playing with fire for years and years. You know, the 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 uh, uh, Nancy McLean's book, Democracy in Chains, is absolutely brilliant about this. In the last chapter, she talks about how the efforts that the billionaires, the right wing billionaires, and she she specifically calls out uh, Charles and David Koch. But but, the, you know, there are others. I mean, obviously, it was, you know, Robert Mercer and his daughter, Rebecca, who funded Donald Trump's rise to power. But what these right-wing billionaires are trying to produce, Nancy McLean writes in Democracy in Chains, is an America with favelas. Now, I have worked in and lived next door to, you know, in a little church next door to, and surrounded by uh, a favela, uh, favelas in both Peru and in um, Colombia, in Bogota. And I've been in the favelas, the, the, the slum, the shanty towns of Mexico City. But I've worked in the ones in Lima, Peru, and in Bogota, Colombia. And of course, I've, I've been to and seen much smaller versions of these in Nairobi, Kenya, in uh, uh, Kampala, Uganda. But, but they're not even like favelas there. I mean, no, the, the, the intensity of poverty that you see in some of these South American cities particularly the cities that have been hit by neoliberal economic policies since the 1960s, as was imposed on Chile by Pinochet at the, at the urging of these, the, these neoliberal fundamentalists, the Milton Friedmans, the libertarians, the people who call themselves conservatives. Their goal has been to reduce the middle class to poverty, but not out of some like hatred of the middle class, not out of some, gee, you know, we don't like average working people. They know 
that if they can reduce people to poverty, those people are more vulnerable to a demagogic message. They're more vulnerable to a, to a leader who comes along and says, I alone can save you. They're more, they're more willing to follow a leader who says, oh, it's the fault of those people who are different from you, whether it's you know, Jews or, or people of, uh, with color in their skin, people of color, or uh, gay people, or, or you know, people who are politically different from you, communists, socialists, right, whatever it may be. They're the ones at fault. And you have a long history of this kind of thing just, you know, building around the world that this, this is going on. And, and I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dig into a whole bunch of different pieces of this. But, for example, over in Turkey, Erdogan, the, the, the president of Turkey, is running for re-election. He's been there for 15 years. He has decided that if he can destroy public education and replace it with hardcore right-wing religious education, dumb down the students, crank up the religious hatreds, if he can do that, he's more likely to get reelected and future generations of Turks will support future generations of autocrats like Erdogan. And so, as Carlotta Gall writes in the New York Times, the headline, Erdogan's plan to raise a pious generation divides parents in Turkey. Public schools are closing on little or no notice and be replaced by religious schools. Exams are scrapped by presidential whim. Tens of thousands of public teachers have been fired. Outside religious groups are teaching in the schools. Erdogan has chipped away at Turkey's democratic institutions, purging the courts and civil service of suspected opponents. Now, all Mitch McConnell did was for eight years refuse to allow President Obama to appoint people to our courts, including the Supreme Court. And then Trump gets in and they're fast-tracking all of them. It's the exact same thing. It's just being done in a slightly different fashion. Bring the media to heel. Oh, yeah, the, the lion media, the fake news, right? And uh, he still has in place a state of emergency. We haven't quite got that far, although I would say that that's what's going on at our southern border. And it goes on to add what Erdogan is, they call these schools Imam Hatib schools, those cleric preacher schools. Preachers are the, are the teachers. They note, the New York Times notes, they teach the national curriculum, but roughly half their courses are religious, and their core classes, which a student has to pass to graduate, are the Quran and Arabic. Fifteen years ago, there were just 450 schools like this in Turkey. Erdogan is now publicly funding them, just like Trump is doing with religious schools now in the United States, with vouchers. There are now 4,500 of these schools in Turkey. So it is exploding in Turkey. This plan is growing. Meanwhile, over at the New York Times, the report how the Koch brothers are killing public transit projects around the country. And I'm going to dig into that in a little more detail as we continue in the program. But the bottom line here is impoverish the people because, you know, there's that pesky, pesky thing, that, 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 that pesky, uh, uh, you know, what would you call it? Democracy. That pesky thing of the will of the people. We can't have that. And so we've got to build say, the billionaires who fund Trump and the Republican Party. We've got to build a large enough coalition that we can get elected so we can destroy things like public transportation that only benefit the working class of America. So that we can destroy things like food stamps that only benefit low-income working people. So we can destroy things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare that largely benefit the working class, the middle class, and the poor in the United States. And let those people move into favelas. Let's, let's build slums. Let's, let's, and, and it's beginning. I see it right here in Portland, Oregon. You drive down the street and there are these little tent cities of homeless people all over the place. This is how favelas start. It's improvised housing. This is the end game of these guys, according to Nancy McLean's book, Dem Democracy in Chains. And I believe she's right. But the only way they can accomplish this economic end game is to create a large enough coalition of voters to keep themselves in power. So how do they reach out to the white racist base? Donald Trump trashes black NFL players, and he trashes people of color from, you know, coming south of the border, black people and brown people. Again, back to this article in the New York Times, forget tax cuts. This is an intentional, by the way, this is a, an election strategy that Trump is playing right now. Make no mistake about it. It's an election strategy. Some Republicans are from states where they think it'll help them, 
and they're climbing on board. Other Republicans are from states where they think it might hurt them, and they're putting some distance between themselves and this strategy. But it's an election strategy. President from jo Maggie Haberman and Jonathan Martin, President Trump sent his clearest single yet, signal yet on Monday that he intends to make divisive, racially charged issues like immigration central going into the campaign season. He gave a speech yesterday or the day before. He said, the death and destruction that's been caused by people coming to this country will end. The United States will not be a migrant camp and it will not be a refugee holding facility. In other words, no more people who don't look like us, like us white people. They point out that more Americans actually still oppose the tax measure. So the Republicans are saying, hey, we can't, we can't campaign on that. So, Trump so Trump's allies believe that trying to link Democrats to crimes, reading from the New York Times, to crimes committed by undocumented immigrants and gangs like MS-13 will do more to galvanize Republican voters and get to the polls in November than emphasizing economic issues. Corey Lewandowski, this, this generation's version of, the, of, the, of you know, the guys in the 50s and 60s and 70s who were doing all this race-baiting strategy, he says, people don't turn out to say thank you. If you want to get people motivated, you've got to give them a reason to vote. Saying build the wall and stop illegals from coming in and killing American citizens, that gives them an important issue. Excuse me. This is what Trump is doing. This is the sound of America. This is, this is the America that Donald Trump wants you to know about. This is the country he wants to turn us into. He's, he and Jeff Sessions and Stephen Miller are reaching out to that. And Corey Lewandowski and... and, and uh, you know, the whole bunch of them are reaching out to that racist base, including Mike Pence, reaching out to that racist base and saying, we're your guys. We're going to stop these black people from disrespecting us. God forbid, taking a knee, you know, during the national anthem to protest black people being killed by police. We're going to stop these brown people from coming into our country and one day becoming citizens because this is supposed to be a white Anglo-Saxon largely Protestant nation, right? Bring back the wasps. This was, this was Pat Buchanan's plea. It is now Donald Trump's plea. How far will it go? How much success will they have? Do you know Republicans who support this? What do they say? What are their reasons? We'll be back. It's coming up on 19 Minutes Past the Hour. This is the Tom Hartman Program back with more of the news of the day and your calls after this. And welcome back. Don in Orange, Texas. Hey, Don, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV today. Uh, hello, Tom. Uh, I appreciate your show, and I know you're right on. Uh, I, my comment is about the fact that I don't think that a lot of a lot of people realize that America's history has been with this separation of, of, of kids from their parents. It, going all the way back to the, all the way back to slavery, and everybody. And let's not forget the Native American genocide. Should be, should be protesting this. Yes. Whites too. Yep. I, I, I. But nobody is talking about what happened to white kids, you see. Yep. And, and, and that's what's kind of disheartening because I don't think enough whites are understanding what this will lead to. There's no basis for that empathy, Don. That's the unfortunate thing. So many white people have grown up in a white bubble with white media and white uh, situation comedies. And that's, you know, that, that idealized leave it to beaver 1950s America is what the white Republican supporting um, you know, many of them would not even describe themselves as racist. They simply view, you know, they've never had to view America through a racial lens. They've never even had to think about race, frankly. They're made uncomfortable when they have to think about race. And so when you ask them to empathize with somebody who, because of their race, is being discriminated against, they have no reference point for that. Yeah. And that's, yeah, a, that, I, I mean, that's I, a major I, problem, right? <laughs> and I don't see, you know, I, you know, with, they, you know, history is not being taught, and so yes. uh, I don't see how they're going to be able to uh, ever understand that. You see, because there are we, there, there are know, some the media. The media doesn't even doesn't even go back in history. They're yeah. dealing with it right now. They are speaking of this poor 
problem what what's happening to to the to the Mexican or the people from South America coming here. We created the problem that has driven those people to come towards America. With the exact same neoliberal economic policies that the Trump uh, that the Trump administration, the Koch brothers and the Mercers are trying to inflict on us right now with their giant tax cuts. Build, you know, create favelas, create poverty in the United States. Yes. Yes. And and uh, you know, even the policies of Reagan, you know, and it goes it goes way you know, way back, you know, and I, I really don't see uh, because a lot of people benefited from the problem from from Reagan, Reaganomics. There are a lot of white people that benefited from it. But the sure. policies that we that we did in South America is what caused it. Go all the way back to when we we blocked off the water that used to go into Mexico. You know, <laughs> yeah. But you can you can you can you can find a lot of this. I mean, you know, in the in the policies. I mean, going all the way back to to the Polk administration and Abraham Lincoln screaming about the stupidity of the Mexican-American War. But really, it got put on steroids. The Central American policy by Reagan, with the support of the Contras, and that was the yeah. rise of these right-wing governments in Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, and that that you know led to the ongoing violence that and the U.S. drug policies. And, and uh, you know, this is, what, this is why these people are showing up at our doorstep. Don, very well said. Thanks for watching Free Speech TV, and thanks for the call. Very well said. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. This is, this is I mean, just, just to, to amplify this, the Drudge Report. This, this is from Huffington Post. The Drudge Report featured an image of gun-wielding children photographed years ago in Syria alongside an article about immigrant children pouring into the United States. Christian Trebert is the guy who actually took the photo. He says the guns were toys. He said this is an obscene misrepresentation of the actual photo. He said, were gun-toting children photographed at the United States border? No. The Drudge Report used my photo of children holding toy guns in Syria without credit, without a description, and without attribution to illustrate a story about migration to the U.S. Well, gee, yeah, let's get some dark-skinned kids holding guns. Oh, here's a good picture. Oh, there are kids in Syria. Well, it doesn't matter. We don't have to tell people that. After all, we're just trying to crank up racial fear in the United States. This is the republic. This is the official Republican re-election strategy. It's that simple. I mean, this literally is their re-election strategy. And, and in fact, I'm, the, the GOP insider, uh, this, uh, this newsletter that I get from the Republican Party, or from at least somebody who's representing themselves as the Republican Party. And this, this is what I got yesterday from GOP insider, GOP insider brief. The headline, Trump bigger than Reagan. President Donald Trump is more popular than his party at almost any other reason than almost any other recent president, according to pollster John Zogby. Zogby noticed this week that Trump's high approval rating within his own party ranks him above every other recent president aside, aside from George W. Bush at this point in their terms. And of course, George W. Bush benefited from 9-11. If you look today, Zogby said 87% of Republicans give him a positive approval rating. Well, the, the thing that I'm wondering and maybe you know the answer to this too, is, is, the, is the pool of people who tell pollsters that they're Republicans shrinking down to nothing but the racist base? In other words, if you, if you go out and survey and you're just, you know, you're dialing and you're saying, are you a registered Republican or are you a Republican? I'd like to ask you some polling questions. And, you know, out of 100 people, 100 of them say yes, then you got 100 people in your sample. But then you call back a couple of weeks later after people are horrified by what Trump's doing and you ask 100 people, are you Republican? And some of them say, no, I'm not a Republican. You can delete those people and now your samples only say 60 people and they're all the hardcore racists. Is that what's going on? I mean, you know, is this going to backfire on the Republicans? Or are they bringing more racist white people out of the woodwork who haven't voted in the past? Obviously, this is their goal. Obviously, this is what they're working on. What do you think? 27 minutes past the hour. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you on the line with us is Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon, uh, representing, representing the state brilliantly in the United States Senate. Senator, welcome back to the program. 
Oh, thank you so much. Good to be with you. And uh, Senator Merkley's contact information, of course, merkley.senate.gov, and you can tweet him at send Jeff Merkley. Uh, Senator, uh, you were on the program a few days ago talking about what you had seen in the uh, in these detention camps. What's the what's the current state of of uh, you know where are we at right now with all this, and where are yeah, you so at with group, all this? A group, seven members of Congress. We I took a delegation down on Father's Day, and we saw several changes. One thing we saw was that our border guards are now out at the ports of entry, blocking people from submitting their asylum claims, uh, preventing them actually from getting to the American side of the, of the bridge in the no man's land between Mexico and the U.S. at all. And just to dramatize that, uh, there was they, they introduced me to a, a woman who had a two-month-old baby to say, well, 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 she's here. She's here presenting her asylum claim. So I asked her, how did you get past the, the border guards? And she said, well, I pretended to wash windows for the cars and worked my way across through the, the car lane uh, and then uh, went back over to the passenger side uh, when I was safely uh, at, at the American end of the bridge. Wow. And I thought that's, that's, it, that's just kind of further emphasizes how Secretary Nielsen was really deceptive because she was saying to the world yesterday, she was saying, hey, all the people have to do are crossing the border is come to port of entry. That is not true. There's a huge effort underway to make it extremely difficult for people to present an asylum claim at the port of entry. This is what Donald Trump meant when he said we are not going to become a, a uh, what did he say, an immigration camp or a refugee camp or whatever whatever the phrase was. Um, you know, there's, there's an article in the New York Times today quoting Corey uh, Lewandowski, uh, arguing that this is an election strategy by the Trump administration, um, you know, engineered by Stephen Miller, Corey Lewandowski, uh, and Jeff Sessions, to this, along with the uh, trashing of uh, black NFL players, to shout out to white racist voters, to get out the, the white racist piece of the Republican electorate. Um, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, I think the, the administration was thinking anything that shifts a conversation to immigration is, is good for them. They can claim that people are seeking open borders, which uh, uh, certainly the Democrats have weighed in time and time again about uh, uh, secure borders, but not throwing money away on a wall and certainly not treating uh, children and parents and families in a horrific fashion as some sort of deterrence message to the world. Uh, that is the sort of thing that's done by, by, by governments that have no heart, uh, governments that uh, uh, are afraid to, to share what they're doing with the world because what they're doing is so, so terrible. It's absolutely unnecessary to treat asylum seekers in this fashion. Uh, it, I just, I'm so deeply appalled by this. I think that if, that if their calculation was this works their favor politically, they, they have to be wrong. I have more faith in the American people than that. I just hear so many folks are, are tweeting and are calling up and are messaging saying, I'm, I cannot believe that that's what Lady Liberty has come to. No longer a light to the world. Uh, no some, treating people fleeing persecution with respect. Instead, now we're saying if you flee persecution, you wash up on our shores, that we will throw you in a pair of handcuffs, we'll toss you in prison, and we'll rip away your kids. Uh, no, that's, that is, uh, that's completely unacceptable. I think the American people are going to reject that. Senator Merkley, uh, a few months ago, uh, my wife Louise and I were down in Costa Rica filming for a, an environmental documentary we're doing with Leo DiCaprio and HBO. And uh, we spent a week in that town, or in that country. And when we flew in, we, uh, we just grabbed a cab at the airport who took us out to this, it was about a two-hour drive. And the cab driver, I was asking him, you know, what's life like in your country? And he was a guy who was in his 50s, I guess, maybe mid to late 50s. And he said, uh, he said, you know, we got rid of the army. He said, I have three sons, two have gone to college for free. He said, my health care uh, for my entire family cost me a little, a little over $100 a month. And uh, you know, I can go to any doctor, anywhere, anytime, no other charges. He said, we have a good life here in Costa Rica, and we're very happy with it. And yet we've got refugees coming into the United States from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, countries that the United States played an outsized role in in the 1980s and before. Why is there almost no discussion whatsoever about this being a refugee crisis rather than, you know, uh, people wanting to come in to get on welfare or people coming in wanting to come in and steal our jobs. Uh, but, but we actually have a genuine refugee crisis, and there's an actual history here. 
Yes, absolutely. And a lot of what we're seeing now, in addition to the, the challenges of the past with, with governments that were really criminal enterprises, now we have actual criminal enterprises that are taking over towns, running them from the government. For example, this young woman and her baby who crossed over by wiping windows on the car lane. So I asked her why she fled. She said, our family took a, a loan from a private bank. Uh, the, um, the, we couldn't repay it. Uh, so they have a very close relationship with the, uh, the drug mafia that runs that town. So they sent folks to say, you either pay us or someone dies. And she said it was going to be me as soon as I delivered. So I had to flee with one month left in my, my pregnancy. And I fled, and my uncle was killed after I left. Uh, so, I mean, the, and I, I think about the, 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 the chaos of, of that that kind of comes from the country having been so split up by many of the policies we had in the past down there that you're, you're, you're pointing to. And, and um, now under Sessions' new definition of uh, what it means to seek asylum, what qualifies for asylum, that woman uh, would not qualify. In the past, it has been either the government is afflicting you or ref unable to protect you from forces that afflict you. That second half, uh, when it's a criminal enterprise running the town, is now wiped out as a, as a, as a cause for asylum. So she, she made it to the U.S. side. She'll get an asylum hearing, but probably she'll be sent home, and, uh, and who knows how long she'll live when, when that happens. What can Americans who are listening to this or watching this right now do? The, uh, this is the moment to just weigh in so heavily with your members of, of Congress. I can tell you a lot of Republicans have told me, we know, we are horrified by what the president is doing, but it's immigration. We're afraid to talk about it. We will call up the president's team and whisper in their ear. Well, it's not acceptable to have members of Congress so intimidated that they can't, they can't give voice when basic humanitarian values, kind of the very DNA of America is being violated. They need to get the courage to speak up, and apparently that's going to require their constituents to, to really say to them, we are ashamed. If you cannot speak up on this issue of of trying to send a political message by harming children. You don't deserve to be in office. So get it together, uh, stand up, speak out, take the administration on. This shouldn't be a Democratic or Republican issue. Amen. And the telephone number for the congressional switchboard is 202-225-3121. Uh, if, you, if you don't know who represents you, tell them your state. They'll give you the name of your two state senators or your two United States senators. Uh, if you or give me your zip code, they'll tell you who is your congressperson, and they will connect you to that office. Senator Merkley, you're doing such great work. Thank you so much for dropping by today and for for uh, you know taking your Father's Day and, and and going down and seeing what was going on. Thank you so much, sir. Absolutely, you, you bet. It's great talking with you, Senator Jeff Merkley. You can tweet him at send Jeff Merkley S E N as in Senator Jeff Merkley. Uh, M-E-R-K-L-E-Y, and of course, merkley.senate.gov, the website for, uh, for his, Senate, his, you know, his Senate website. We'll be back with more right after this sticker. You're listening to Tom Hartman. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us, Frank Schaefer, the author of Letter to Lucy, a manifesto of creative redemption for the age of Trump, fascism, and lies. Frank Schaefer is a New York Times bestselling author, survivor of an evangelical fundamentalist childhood. Uh, his website, Frank Schaefer, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, frankschaefer.com. And you can tweet him at Frank underscore Schaefer. Frank, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Um, uh, the most recent uh, little clip from uh, our noted attorney general and uh, America's most racist Keebler elf, uh, Jeff, Jeff Sessions, um, is uh, this little uh, gem that he shared with us about the Nazis. Well, it's a real exaggeration. Of course, in Nazi Germany, they were keeping the Jews from leaving the country. Uh, but this is a serious matter. Right. Well, a, yeah, this is a serious matter. So, and before that, he had said that uh, this is all biblical. And I recall, you know, Archbishop Mueller, the uh, Reichsbishop, excuse me, of the, uh, of the Third Reich, uh, justifying the, the Nazis' efforts with the Bible as well. Of course, lots of, you know, slavery was justified with the Bible. Uh, American... Uh, exceptionalism, what was the, the, the doctrine of manifest destiny was, you know, uh, the genocide of Native Americans justified by the Bible. Uh, your thoughts on uh, how this is playing out right now, sir? 
Well, you know, we, we're in, in an extraordinary spot today, uh, Tom. You know, I'm 66, and as you know, I cut my teeth in the religious right in the 70s and the 80s as the nepotistic sidekick of my evangelist father, Francis Schaefer. You know, back in those days, my mom and dad were staying in the Ford White House. Um, in the Lincoln bedroom, I was jetting around the country in Jerry Falwell's borrowed jet, and we were talking about trying to rescind and roll back Roe v. Wade and abortion rights. Out of that has grown uh, um, uh, a situation where we now have um, a government that is totally pagan on the one hand with the, the adulterer, third, three times married, foreign president, uh, con artist Donald Trump. But on the other hand, has been put there by white evangelical voters that back in the 70s and 80s, my dad and I, people like Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell and others, stirred up on the basis of standing on biblical principles against the secularization of our culture, whether that was gay rights, the feminist movement, abortion rights, and all these other litmus tests that became the kind of punch card for um, Republican candidates since then. So I was in on the beginning of the the end, if you like, the end being now with Donald Trump, where the, the quest for power by evangelicals has become such that they will, like the Republican Party today, go along with anything he does, because he's not delivering anything for anybody else. Wall Street doesn't particularly like him. Uh, the global economy doesn't particularly like him. The U.S. Uh, population doesn't particularly like him. Only a minority of people voted for him, even out of voters. Um, but he is delivering for these evangelicals. The capital city of, of Israel has now been recognized by the U.S., and we've moved our embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, he has put uh, anti-abortion justices on the federal bench across the country in increasing numbers. He has made uh, nefarious remarks about gay people and transgenders and others. He has resurrected the kind of latent racism that's been part of white evangelicalism since the year one. Um, and so he is delivering for this bigoted minority of white evangelical voters more than he is for other people. So when you fast forward to the present and we have caged children on the border, and by the way, worth noting, as you know, I'm sure, that these are not the children of quote-unquote illegal immigrants. These are the kids, people seeking asylum. Right, these are refugees. Which going to, which going to what uh, we just heard about, the, uh, the wall, tr- you know, trying to keep people out and people in and the Nazis and all the rest of it. Just remember that in the 1930s, when Jews were coming to America to escape Nazi Germany, if we had been seizing their children and putting them in prison camps, we would be remembered much the way we remembered, for instance, today, the Swiss who turned away Jews at the border, or think back to our own dark moment of interning Japanese folks, or beyond that, uh, winking and nodding at lynching. This would have been added to one of the great sins, the historic sins that we repent of in the United States. So, you know, let's just pause for a moment. The, the religious right that I was part of in the 70s was, quote-unquote, pro-life. It was all about family values. We've moved from that to the people who have put this man in power, now going along with uh, people like Laura Ingram, who claims she's a Bible-believing Christian, uh, going along with a man who not only is breaking up families, but is using the breakup and the torture of children to intimidate, not quote-unquote illegal immigrants, but intimidate uh, folks who are coming to this country as supplicants for relief from persecution as either political dissidents or people who have run afoul of gangs or governments or other things seeking relief uh, for as asylum seekers. So that this isn't even in keeping with our tradition of recognizing international law. What we, what we now have is, is kind of the naked face of where Trumpism is really going. It's a bigoted racist movement driven by a madman. And the question I have for people listening today is at what point should we just literally foment an overthrow of this regime by whatever means at our disposal to come hand into hand? And I'm talking about the 2018 election to take back the House. I'm talking about the 2020 election. But I'm also talking about impeachment procedures. I'm talking about a hue and cry of millions of people pouring into the street, literally making this country ungovernable when it's being governed by a madman who thinks that a two-year-old weeping her little heart out, surrounded by gun-toting ICE agents, is represents the American tradition that we all want to plug into. This is past ugly. Uh, It it is literal bullying. This is now literal schoolyard bullying. He is beating up on children, quite 
literally. So but Frank, that those those two-year-olds, as Pat Buchanan pointed out in one of his last books, where he had a whole chapter about how America was about to become majority minority. You know, in in the in the in the twenty thirties or twenty forties, I guess. Uh, you know, that you'll have a voting population that's majority right. minority, and that this doesn't represent Anglo-Saxon white Anglo-Saxon values. Um, the the you said racism or latent racism, I think was the phrase you used, has been a right. part of the white evangelical movement from day one. To yeah, what extent yeah. To what extent is this, uh, is this a naked appeal to racism on the one hand and to people who are like openly racist and proud of it, or on the other hand, an appeal simply to uh, racial, I shouldn't say simply, but because but there's a qualitative difference, but it's really not that much of a difference, uh, an appeal to white people who may be unaware of their own racism. They've just lived in their little white bubble their whole entire lives, and they're just vaguely uncomfortable about people of other races, you know, moving into their neighborhoods, sending their kids to their schools, dating their kids, or working next to them. And, but they wouldn't they would never think of putting on a white sheet or going out and burning a cross or passing out racist literature. Um, you know, wh what is that spectrum like? How, how, how you know, the, 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 the white evangelical movement that has that has cast its lot with this racist behavior. How, how conscious are they of what's really going on? I think very conscious now. I think it's the old story of the frog slowly being boiled to death as you turn up the experiment. Uh, a couple of degrees at a time, and, and it never knows that the heat is past the point of no return. That accounts for a lot of the voters. But today, when you have these little children weeping their hearts out in a country that supposedly is pro-family, and a president that was put there by people who talked about family values ad nauseum, we, we, we see the naked face of this. Look, let's get something very clear. When these families are rounded up and then broken up, and parents sent back without children and so forth, the, the level of violence against family values is total. This, 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 they don't need, one thing you could do more, and that is do what they did at Auschwitz and Birkenau, and that is tell them they're going to take showers and kill them. You're killing their families. You are stressing the children to the point of doing brain damage, as pediatric specialists all over the country are writing about today. That level of stress for a young child is irreparable. Um, what people who stand on the sidelines and allow this to happen are proving is that not only are they racist and bigots, they are people who are literally so filled with hate and fear of the other that there is no line they would cross. You know, Donald Trump said that if he shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, his followers would still love him and everybody laughed. He's done something worse now. You know, gunning down someone in broad daylight on Fifth Avenue is not as bad as, as rounding up uh, thousands of children and destroying their lives and, and turning their parents into distraught, suicidal uh, basket. Well, at least one parent has already committed suicide yeah, after, after being separated from his son. This is a level of cruelty that usually, even in our history books, we try to hide. You know, we've done things like this through the through the past. We've right, the Indian slave schools, families. slavery. We did this to slave families. We've done this to race uh, issues across the country. But here's the point I'm trying to make. If it wasn't racism, you, you could say, well, let's just say our, our southern border was say, shared with Saudi Arabia or Yemen or some Arab uh, Muslim-majority country. You could say, well, there's a cultural thing. We're not a, we don't have a Muslim history. We're trying to defend our Christian heritage. But when Pat Buchanan talks about defending the Christian West, <laughs> these folks coming from Central America and South America and Mexico are either Pentecostal Christians, just like the happy, clappy white voters who put Trump in power, or Roman Catholics. So we, we are talking about doing this to literally, in Christian terms anyway, biblical terms, if you want to go, if, I, if you want me to go biblical on you, we're talking about actually breaking the commands of Jesus to treat your brothers and sisters in Christ as Jesus treats you. You know, the specific commands in the Bible to, to, to do unto others are all very well and good, but if you read the New Testament, a lot of what Jesus says, and certainly the Apostle Paul, has to do with inter-Christian relations. So even those are being broken. These children who are being taken away from their parents, just to put it bluntly, are baptized Pentecostal kids who have come to Jesus in churches, just like the ones the white evangelicals will go to next Sunday. They are Roman Catholic children. There's not even an excuse from the people supposedly defending Western culture that somehow it's being attacked at its root by allowing in a vast Asian population who are Buddhists or Confucianists or, or Hindu from another culture or, or Muslim. This, this is our southern border.
borders on countries that are not just majority Christian, they are more fervent in their faith than we are. The, so the this is not about anything other than the color of their skin. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, There's okay, I got it. It's, it's Frank, Frank, I'm sorry we're hitting a break. I got I to wrap it up. But Frank Schaefer, you are brilliant. FrankSchaefer.com. You can tweet him at Frank underscore Schaefer, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, and his book, A Letter to Lucy. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Jackie in Glenview, Illinois. Hey, Jackie, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's on your mind today? Hi. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, I was listening and I get so heated and irritated when I hear these people say that it's about, you know, taking immigrants taking our jobs and, and you know, not paying taxes and seeking this country. And I have, a, I have a daughter who is adopted from Guatemala and she's brown. I myself am, you know, blonde or blue eyed, so is my husband. And I have seen racism in a way that I think even, you know, all brown families don't see it because I see the way people switch when they see that she has white parents. But um, ever since the election last year, when Trump won, my daughter started having a lot of people say, you know, you're going to get kicked out. You don't belong here. Uh, Brown, you know, there's going to be a wall and your parents are going to be deported. And one girl, she actually even said, um, I, you know, you, you don't belong here. You're going to get deported and so are your parents. And she said, well, my parents are white. So, yeah, that's not happening. I'm adopted. And the girl goes, well, they should never have let you in. And um, a boy who I know from, you know, way back in first grade, he had Polish immigrant parents with thick, heavy Polish accents. He probably was the worst because she had multiple classes with him and he would say things regularly. And he one time was chanting, you know, deep, did the deportation, deportation, did the deportation next to her in, in class in a low voice. And, you know, this is this has nothing to do with, you know, these kids aren't learning from these are eighth graders. They're not learning from their parents about about people taking our jobs. They're learning about hating, hating brown people. And this is just a front. They're not, no, no one's actually saying the real thing. They just want to get brown people out. And when they use this lie that it's to, you know, to keep our country safe, it's a lie. Right. And the argument that the, the secretary of DHS yesterday made, Christian Nielsen, that, you know, there is a law against being in the United States without documentation. Yeah, it's true. And it's the same level of law. It's a misdemeanor. It's the same level of law as, as uh, jaywalking. And when when we I mean, literally, it's the same level of law. It's the same level of law as running a stop sign. Um, You know, it's uh, if you don't hit somebody, it's the same level of law. I mean, it's a misdemeanor. And so when, you know, I'll believe Christian Nelson uh, or Nielsen or however she says her name and Jeff Sessions, you know, when they start uh, taking white people putting them in prison and sending their yes. children into foster care or I putting their children in dog kennels. I'll believe them that this is this has something to do with law and order. This doesn't have a damn thing to do with law I, and order. This has to do with exactly. the color of the skin of the people who are coming into this country. As Frank Schaefer yes. pointed out, it doesn't even have to do with religion, you know. Yes. And, you know, like I said, I mean, from the time she was very little and, you know, one time we were boarding a plane and uh, a train and, and the conductor said, wait, where are your parents with their hand in her face? And my husband and I were standing right behind her, and I said, right here, she goes, oh, have a good time, honey. Go have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and th- that's just one example of millions. My daughter's seen it, you know, at, at three years old at the Children's Museum. You know, parents go, where are her parents? When she's doing anything but holding my hand. Right. And, you know, it, this has nothing to do with with laws. And these people are, they're learning it from their parents, and and it's just all lies. It's all a front yeah. to get brown people out. Or to simply demonize them. I don't think he frankly cares if he gets them out or not. He just wants to demonize them just like he demonizes black NFL yeah. players. You know, yeah. And that yeah. cranks up the base. Jackie, yeah. very well said. Thank you for calling and sharing your experience with Thank us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good talking with you. Thank you. Karen, in uh, how do you say that a town in California, Karen? A Tascadero. Tascadero. There you go. What's up? Right, right. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for what you're bringing up about these uh, children. I have been a social worker for 35 years, and everything you're saying is absolutely true. And what I do want to bring up is the sexual trauma and the trauma that these children will face 
it is not a secret among social workers. Um, we try, we attempt to, to deal with this in our foster care systems. However, some counties and some states are much better equipped because they have more money. Um, for example, I worked in L.A. when MS-13 was formed, and that is these children came up from Central America already traumatized. They were already traumatized. They were thrown in the foster system, and we created this. I mean, as you're well aware, we already created this right. problem. MS-13 was an American invention, yes. It was an American invention. They fled up here, and once they got into the foster system, they were doubly traumatized. And this also happened to children who were coming over from Eastern Europe and Asia, I mean, and uh, Russia and Asia. Yeah. And what people don't know is a lot of these children were victims of sexual abuse and became part of sexual abuse. And it's not something that's talked about, and I fear this is going to happen to these children. Yeah, and it also, I mean, um, they're, they're putting, you know, six-year-olds in with 12-year-olds, and, and as, okay. as these boys are hitting puberty, uh, they yeah. become the abusers. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, it gets very messy, yeah. but it, and, it's, and it's a whole spectrum. Karen, thank you. Very, very well said. And I would just like you to think about the worst thing that happened to you when you were a kid growing up, you know, and, and just, you know, the, 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 uh, the some, you know, humiliating event, whatever it may be, what, you know, I... I remember teachers calling me out. I remember Dennis Lynch beating me up. I, you know, there's, there's things that I remember, right, from my childhood that, look, that I always thought were trauma. But I was never torn from my parents and put in a dog cage for weeks. It never happened to me. I can't imagine the kind of trauma. I can't imagine the kind of nightmares that I'd be waking up from. This, this is... This is absolutely breathtaking. David in Pittsburgh. Hey, David, what's up? Hi. Um, just wondering um, where the outrage has been for the last 10 years about this. Is, uh, this has been going on quite a while. Um, no, it's not. It's, this, this, was a, this was a practice, David, that when Donald Trump was, was uh, sworn into office on, on February 16th, they had a meeting in the White House where, where Jeff Sessions and Steve Miller presented this, and it was decided not to do it because of the blowback. And then a year later, they, they put this into practice. It went into practice in April of this year. The children who are here without parents who were, who were in these detention centers or whatever you want to call them uh, during the Obama administration, 100% of them were children who came in either as, as the possessions of or essentially of coyotes or abusers, number one, or number two, simply crossed the border all by themselves. But, so those kids, those kids today, they're coming in with coyotes or false parents, which has grown by 300% in the last year, according to statistics. Um, that would still happen to them. That so is not the group that we're talking the about, David. For them? That is not traumatized? The, the solution for them, obviously, is to do what we did before, which is you move them through the system as quickly as possible. The law says that they cannot be in detention more than a couple of weeks, and you get them into the foster care system. But these which children came with their parents. David, if, okay, but, if you are supporting of this administration oh, ripping children what? from their parents, you have no goddamn soul. If, you, if you're supporting that, forgive my language, but I am sick of it. This, this, these, these white racists justifying this horror, this freak show in the White House and the horror of using race as a way of, of gaining political advantage... You can go screw yourself. I, I am just, I am so sick of this. Sarah in Jacksonville, Florida. Sarah, you're on the air. Hi, Tom. I agree with you. I'm sick of it, too. I wanted to comment on the gentleman that called you earlier and said that if he had gone to jail, his child would be taken from him. Right. His child would not be ripped from his arms like these kids are being taken from their parents. And if he did go to jail and he had kids, he has family members here and wherever he lives who can take care of those kids while he is incarcerated. And you can visit so, people in jail. And, and yes, and he would know exactly where his child is. As long as he, even guys that go to prison for life, they know that their kids are with their moms or some relative or someone, but they can get access to their kids via letters or whatever, things like that. Yeah. And uh, I'm so sick and tired of it, too, how people are ignoring this. But no one is talking about how, how many illegal European kids are here in this country. But no one's talking about that. Right. Well, Donald Trump is hiring them, right? He, he hires <laughs> European immigrants to work at Mar-a-Lago because he thinks it's very elegant for his white wait staff and uh, employees to have thick European accents. That's, that's 
high class, right? Yes. Um, and then there's one more thing I want to say. I'm tired of hearing people commenting that Putin and Kim Jong-un are strong men. Those are bullies. Yes. They're not strong. And bullies strong are men weak. would be more compassionate. But these guys are bullies. And they keep saying on the news, well, Trump likes strong men. No, Trump loves bullies. Yeah, because he is one, because he grew up the victim of a bully, his father, and, yes. and and he himself became a bully, and that's basically all he knows. And now he's 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 role modeling that for an entire generation of Americans. And that's the thing that that concerns me the most about this Trump administration is that there's a there's a, a, a an entire generation of young white kids growing up looking at Donald Trump and being told if their parents watch Fox News or listen to right wing hate radio. This is what you should be when you grow up. This is the American success story. This is who we yes. are. And this is not who America is. Sarah, thank you for the call. You said it so well. It is this this is fundamentally un-American. What's going on here? We're gonna check in with Luke Vargas in about four minutes with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the rest of the world today. And and around here too as well. And we'll be continuing to take your calls. And I got a brand new rant for you at the top of the hour. Stick around. So I just want to wrap up this this rant that I was doing from the first hour and put it all in context and, and, and make it, you know, make it whole. There is a group of people who were for the longest time considered cranks. Crackpots. Starting not literally starting with Milton Friedman, but he was the most famous of the Americans among this group. But going back to the foundation of the Mount Pelerin Society, which Friedman played a role in. Uh, von Hayek, uh, uh, Mises, uh, you know, the, 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 these libertarian ideologues who believed, and, you know, we have to give them some credit for this, right? They actually believed that the marketplace will always make better decisions than government will because it's reacting to a million decisions itself constantly. Which is, which is a reasonable belief to hold, right? Here's their sales pitch. It's real simple. It's very straightforward. If a government makes a decision, it may go through a deliberative process. You might have 10 or 20 people on a committee, but it's still a small group of people making a decision that's going to impact the lives of millions and millions of people. So instead of government making that decision, we should have the marketplace make decisions. Because literally in the, in, the, in the three or four minutes since I started this rant, there have been probably 100 million economic decisions made in the United States. And those decisions show up as people buying individual products. Every time somebody chooses to buy this product instead of that product, they are making a decision in the marketplace and moving the marketplace in a particular direction toward this product away from that product. And so the belief that these guys held was, with all these millions of decisions being made in the marketplace literally every second of every day, that is as close to democracy, small d democracy, you know, ruled by the people from bottom up as you can get. And so that marketplace must be considered sacred, right? This is the most small d democratic of democratic possible institutions. And so if we get government out of the way and stop it from interfering with that marketplace, and let that marketplace with its millions of decisions every second basically take control of everything, then the world will become a paradise. And the will of the people will be done because it's the people making the decisions. That's a very seductive sales pitch. The problem is every time it's been tried, it's been gamed by predators. Every country, including the United States, that has turned capitalism over to the capitalists without governmental oversight, without the oversight of we the people, has ended up being ruled by the capitalists. They simply replace government as the center of power. You see it in the United States right now. Gillens and Page did this study out of Northwestern University back about three, four years ago, and they found that if you are in the top of 1% of Americans, in other words, the people who control the marketplace, the odds of what you want being legislatively passed in the United States through the U.S. Congress or in the state legislatures, if you're in the top of 1%, the odds of what you want getting passed are 70 to 80%. You are getting what you want if you, legislatively if you're in the top 1%. If you are in the top 10%, 
the odds of you're getting what you want legislatively are greater than 50%, greater than 50-50. So you have, you know, your thumb isn't hugely, your whole hand isn't on the scale, but your thumb is on the scale if you're in the top 10%. But what Gillens and Page proved, and you can look this up, is that if you're in the bottom, ever since Reaganomics, if you're in the bottom 90% of Americans, the probability of what you want being enacted into legislation, right? The bottom 90% of Americans, the majority, the vast majority of the bottom 90% of Americans want single-payer health care, want Social Security without holes drilled in it. They want Medicare without holes drilled in it so you don't have to buy supplemental plans from United Healthcare. They want Medicaid that actually cares for poor people. They want, they want Medicare for all. They want a single-payer health care system. They want our schools to be funded and work well. They want our infrastructure to be rebuilt. They want people to be able to go to college debt-free. They want a foreign policy that doesn't have 15-year-long wars in foreign countries where we really have interest in no business. None of those things are happening. Because every one of those things happening would slightly reduce the profits of some major player in our economy that has seized control of our government. And now you've got the Koch brothers killing off public transit projects. You've got Betsy DeVos killing off public education projects. You've got uh, Mick Mulvaney killing off the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and throwing us to the tender mercies of the banksters. You've got, you've got Scott Pruitt uh, dialing back on regulations that keep our air and our water clean and pure and, and repoisoning us all you know, with cancer-causing chemicals. You've got Ryan Zinke tearing apart America's public lands and, and national parks and selling them off to the highest bidder, all on behalf of this so-called market, which has been seized by this small group of, 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 of pseudo-capitalists. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And here's the kicker. They know their policies are unpopular, so they reach out to the racists and the religious bigots and say, come on in and vote for us, and we'll do your bidding. Okay, just the headlines today. Louise just handed this to me. The headlines, from, the headline from Mediaite, Trump doubles down in wild speech. Current border policy says, you have to take the children away. A McClatchy headline exclusive. U.S. officials likely lost track of nearly 6,000 unaccompanied minor kids. 6,000. Lost track of. Richard in San Antonio. Hey, Richard, what's up? Hey, hi, Tom. How you doing? Um, my name is Rich. Okay, yeah, what's up? Uh, uh, listen, I'm just trying to weigh in on this uh, child snatching at the border. Mm. Uh, I just want to say uh, ISIS, Boko Haram, Taliban, I mean, those terrorists over there, that's what they practice. And, I mean, my, my point is, have we as a, as a free country stooped so low already? I'll take your answer off the yes, sir. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Richard. One of, the, one of the hallmark, one of the signature marks of ISIS and Boko Haram is stealing children. And, and trying to indoctrinate them and trying to raise them in their cult, essentially. And apparently that, you know, the, Trumps, the Trumpsters have decided that that's the way they're going to win elections. Richard, thank you for the call. Well said. Mike in West Palm Beach, Florida. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Hey, hey Tom. Uh, I've been listening. Your points are fantastic. By the way, your response to the caller who was the, uh, the soft-spoken Nazi appeaser who just called, it was a perfect response. Um, the way these people try to kind of weasel their way into getting their point across is part of the problem in this country. And I just want to ask you and the listeners, this is the most horrific thing that this country has done in recent years. Where are the, um, where are the protest resignations? Give me one person in government who has resigned in protest. Where is, the, where is a Republican who has decided to flip parties because of this? Give me one name. Yeah, I see no profiles for, in courage here, Mike. I see none. Yeah. Instead, what we're getting are weasel words. You're getting Susan Collins coming out going, oh, this is this is pretty or no, it was the other main senator, whoever it was, you know, saying, oh, this is a this is a terrible thing. You know, I'll introduce legislation so that Trump can have his border wall so we can stop this. You got Jeff Flake saying essentially the same thing, you know, Ted Cruz. Oh, yeah, I'll introduce legislation so Trump can have his border wall so we'll stop holding these kids hostage. That's pathetic. Yeah. And, the, and until we, you know, if we, we need street protests, massive numbers in the millions before November, just to say, to save this country. Let me tell you, Tom, if Donald Trump is on the ticket in 2020, this country is done, whether yeah. or not he wins or loses. But if he's not gone, along with everybody who supported him, 
we're finished as a nation. And your point about Manafort and Lee Atwater, which I never heard before, brilliant point. But the monsters are not new, as you said. And I'll, I'll parallel McCarthy, Nixon, Roy Cohn, bingo, right to Trump. Right. So Roy Cohn was Trump's mentor. This is an and his lawyer. nightmare. And they're talk. Yep. And this talk about deterrence, which they're still talking about using children as deterrence. That's right. the most honest thing that this administration has said, that they are going to use Nazi tactics to get people to uh, gin up their base and to get what they want from Democrats. It's the most disgusting, hateful thing I've ever seen. And I'll tell you this, Tom, I voted for Republicans before in the past in my 55 years. I've chosen Republicans who I thought served this country. I will never, ever vote for a Republican, no matter. I won't even look at the name till the day I die because of what Mitch McConnell and what Donald Trump have done in the recent years. Amen. I Mike, I got I to gotta, I gotta end the show here, but you said it better than I could have. Thank you so much for the call. Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Thank you for being with us today. Call your elected representatives, like Jeff Merkley recommended at the beginning of the show, 202-225-3121. Call them and raise hell with them. Thanks so much. And don't forget, democracy requires you. It's not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.